Well, hey there, and welcome to The Post, a Redemption Church podcast. I'm your host for today, J.P. Gaylord. We've got a great show for you today. We'll be touching on questions you have always wanted to ask your pastors. Don't worry, nothing too crazy, but uh, we'll have a good time. And we are joined today by none other than Danny Turner. Hi, Redemption. Charles Kirby. Please keep that. Yeah. Please keep that. High Redemption Church. <laughs> yeah. We can artificially speed up your voice if you want to talk slower to make sure you uh, get all the letters right. Anyway. Charles Kirby's here too. Hey. <laughs> I'm not going to say Redemption, but I did. <laughs> And Steve Bush. What's up, Tredemption? <laughs> awesome. Well, we're back after a long hiatus. Is the word it hiatus? Been a yeah. minute. Yep. Yeah. yeah. What language is that even derived from? Hiatus? Yeah. Papua New Guinea. Thank you, Charles. Mm. Charles always has a great answer for no my question. Yeah. And a quick one that he <laughs> says with confidence. No. So yes. very believable. <laughs> yep. So we get hiatus from Papua New Guinea. Yeah, uh, there correct. it is. What was that, JP? Don't. What did <laughs> Danny, I say? We'll, something we'll wrong? Keep no, going. Go ahead. It's okay. Go, what, go for it. What did I say? You said Papua, which is how it's spelled. Papua. Papua. <laughs> Papua New Guinea. Okay. Isn't that? I thought I said Papua. Papua. Papua, Papua is Papua? what you said. Papua? Papua. I guess I don't know. Keep going. the redemption thing. Well, hey, if you are still listening to the podcast, congratulations. It has been a long time. And uh, how was your Christmas, guys? It was relaxing. We didn't really do anything. We made a covenant to not do family craziness on Christmas because we wanted our kids to just enjoy the things that we gave them and not rush around and go to in-laws and all that sort of stuff. So it was very relaxing and we appreciated it. That's smart. We, yeah, we always take our time too, which is, might bother some people, but like we were having breakfast at like 9, 9.30 and then we start opening presents, and we, but we kind of watch what other people are opening and take our time. I think we were still maybe finishing up gifts around 1.15 in the afternoon. So... Uh, yeah, it was great. We didn't do it. We were just kind of hanging out locally too, and um, it ended up being good. Awesome. Yeah, um, it was Malachi's first Christmas. So he's like 10 months old at this point. Um, and so had a great time with him. He officially likes the wrapping paper and boxes more than any of the toys or yes. gifts I brought, bought for him, which is fun. Um, but he had a really good time. That is definitely a phase. Yep. Good. It's fun to watch. Next year to be different. And a little yeah. disappointing because yeah. you're like, I spent how much money on presents? <laughs> yeah. And you like yes. the box. Yep. Likes the box. <laughs> and the paper. Well, we uh, we hung out here for Christmas, but prior to Christmas, we went up to Boyne for a family trip and uh, also happened to visit the Petoskey Hospital. So that was a fun, uh, a fun time. Uh, John ended up getting hurt skiing, and it could have been a lot worse than it actually was. But uh, yeah, special shout out to all the nurses and doctors in the ER and Petoskey. McLaren, I believe, is the name. So I've, I've driven by the hospital many times. Well, good Christmas. We are in 2023 now. Happy New Year. And to start out the year strong, uh, we are going to play a game of Bible trivia. 
Six questions. Five questions, but if there's a tie, there's a tiebreaker that probably won't be a tiebreaker. Six questions. Can I concede at the front of this to, to Charles? <laughs> yeah, you, you, you may not Dude, want to. I, I'm not going to. I will purposely answer it in a different language. So I might get them all wrong. talked with Josh. We have approval to fire the person with the fewest number of points at the end of oh, this. Oh, so. <laughs> What? Dude. High stakes. I feel like that's harsh. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right, so you guys have pieces of paper in front of you. What we're going to do is I will read the question, and we will have, I'll give you 15 seconds to write down your answer, and we'll all reveal at the same time. Uh, if you're playing at home, good luck. You guys ready? All right, question number one. Open to the proper page. On how many occasions was Saul left unharmed by David? On how many occasions was Saul left unharmed by David? Five seconds. All right, you guys ready for the reveal? I am not on the right answer section. Uh, let's go ahead and reveal what do you <laughs> have. How do you know if it's right or not? I put at least one. <laughs> <laughs> I said three. Danny's got three. And Steve has three. Let me see if I can find <laughs> the proper answers. Uh, it doesn't even tell me what? what page I'm supposed to look on. Good luck. My first time uh, using this book. Oh, here we go. Answers for the Old Testament quiz. All right. I'm back in Bible school. Sword drills? Twice. The answer wow. is twice. Wow. So, so is it the closest without going over? Like, oh, uh, wow. No, no, right. it is not closest without going over, Dude, but so nice try. We're all wrong. Oh, for one. You yeah. are all wrong. Dang. I believe the two times were uh, once uh, Saul goes into a cave to relieve himself, mm -hmm. yeah. David cuts off a piece of his cloak, yeah. and the second time Saul is asleep in his camp and David goes in and takes his water jug and spear. Okay. I yeah, believe... I I don't remember. Uh, is that in the Bible? It is in the Bible. Yes. I remember his men go in and get water, but I don't, you know, but that's when they broke through, but uh, maybe it wasn't so. Anyways, at least All right. three. What's well, the third? There isn't a third. Oh, there's only <laughs> two. Yeah, that's yeah, right. We said okay. three. Sorry. You said one. I was wrong. Technically, right. you were the most right. At least one. Question number two. <laughs> what did Saul attempt to offer David for his battle with Goliath? What did Saul attempt to offer David for his battle with Goliath? Okay. Steve's making a pained look. I'm going to give you a clue. It is uh, right before the battle with Goliath. <laughs> right before David goes to fight Goliath. Oh, that's good. I don't know. It looks like we are going to have a much smaller redemption staff this year. Yeah. All right, everybody good? Yep. Awesome. Uh, let's reveal. Three, two, one, go. Danny has a sword. Uh, Charles has armor and a shield. And Steve has wrong. <laughs> yep. The answer is his armor. Okay. Uh, and unfortunately... Only his armor. Oh. Oh, well, at least geez. in this. Why don't you look up? Uh, does anybody have a Bible? We should have a Bible here. Let's go. First Samuel seventeen verse thirty-eight. I don't know if they are including his shield as part of yeah. the armor. First Samuel. 17. First Samuel seventeen verse thirty-eight. Yeah. 
says. That's why. Yeah, he put on a helmet, clothed him with a coat of mail. He strapped up. Oh, David strap. Oh, it's his sword over his armor. But so nothing that, about a shield? No shield. Whose sword? It's it just sword? says, and David strapped his sword over mm, his armor. So That could be many things. Yeah, I don't know if that's Saul's Technically, sword. Technically. Looking for clarity from it the Hebrew. It could be David's sword. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, depends on how you read it. Either way, it was not a shield. Sorry. So a half good. point for Danny, it sounds like. Yeah, we'll give you a half point. No, we'll give Charles we don't a need half it. point we don't as need well. Okay. Yeah. I at least put armor. We'll give it a <laughs> Yep. All right. So we've got two half points after two questions. Sorry, can we, can we do a question that's not in the story of David and Saul? Oh. Um, Goliath? <laughs> Sure, if you really want to. Okay, <laughs> I'm just Danny. saying, it seems like we're struggling with that. Yeah, you story. have Danny to thank for this. Question number three. Oh, no. To which prominent authority did the southern kingdom surrender? Wait. <laughs> to which prominent authority did the southern kingdom surrender? I'll give you a hint. It was in 586 BC. Oh, gosh, that <laughs> helps. <clears throat> Give you another five seconds here. <laughs> Charles is Are you looking, looking for a name or a nation. We'll go with a nation. Okay. Charles is looking confident, almost as confident as <laughs> his assertion that hey. it was Papua New Guinea. All right, uh, we've revealed it is Danny's got Babylonian. Old, Steve has Babylon and. <laughs> Babylon, Old King Nebuchadnezzar. Old King Neb's Babylon. <laughs> the answer is actually Babylon. Yay. Hey, you got points all around. Excellent. Very proud of you guys. You're coming through. All right. Question number four. Are we on four? I'm just going yes. through this in, yeah. in order of the, the book. So there are a lot of kind of David related questions. My apologies. Uh, question number four. What happened to Joab after he killed Absalom? What happened to Joab after he killed Absalom? Steve, are you cheating? <laughs> <laughs> Joab. Here, I'll help you out. I kind of feel like this is Celebrity Jeopardy on SNL. Uh, we're going to go with uh, he either got promoted or he got demoted. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he either got promoted or he got demoted. All right, we're ready for the big reveal. Back to my well, Charles, it really doesn't require that much writing, so I don't okay. know what's going on. Just giving the dates and history and right. everything. I think he was killed by Solomon later on when he was in the tabernacle and he held onto the horns of the altar. David told him to kill Joab. I had a similar thing. So I, I gave you a clear clue. Yeah, he, he was demoted. Okay. So I mean, gonna, eventually he he was killed for it. Yes, yeah. but you're going to go with demoted. The answer is he was demoted oh. uh, from being commander of the army. So, so yep. It's all right. It's all right. <sighs> it was a 50-50 shot. <laughs> all right. We'll do the last question then. 
Whom did God instruct Moses to send to explore the promised land? Let me help out. Do you want their names? <laughs> you can give names or kind of a more general response is what is listed here. The question again is, whom did God instruct Moses to send to explore the promised land? I would be satisfied with a number for those of you staring at me with kind of a blank expression. <laughs> we need to have make sure JP sets the uh, his partners in ministry up for yeah, success next time we play games. <laughs> about some like New Testament stuff. Uh, all right. Well, let's see what we got oh here. Oh my gosh! You know, just sickening. Charles, Joshua, Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and 10 <laughs> other heads of the tribes of Israel. Stop. I That's, at least know those two. That is the correct answer. Of uh, course it is. Of course it is. I'm pretty sure Charles won this. Charles wins. Go, Charles. Yeah. All right. Well, big round of applause for Charles. Yeah. I love how you wrote your points in. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh well, very good. That was C plus. Kind of fun, uh, right? <laughs> yeah. Two out of five. Well, let's move on to something potentially more edifying. <laughs> I found a list of questions that people have always wanted to ask their pastor, and uh, we're going to ask some pastors. So, first question: uh, What has been your biggest joy in ministry? I've been in ministry for over twenty-five years, and. While with that has come some some hard and difficult times, I would also, but I, I would say that's probably my same answer. Greatest joy in ministry is just longevity, and what comes with that experience, uh, wisdom, things you know now at forty five that you didn't know at twenty five that you maybe had to learn the hard way. Um, there's a lot of good that comes with longevity. That's good. Yeah, I would say. Let's see. I've been in ministry. Since college, so that'd be 20, 12, or just over 20 years. And I think the greatest joy is, um, I think the eyes of people being opened to hear and rejoice in the reception of the things that they hear from the word of God. Because in the end, even seeing and having myself see those things. Like it's a joy in my own heart to receive it, but then it's even a greater joy to see other people receiving it. Kind of like John, when he says, I have no greater joy than to, he says, my children, to know that my children are walking in the truth, but just to see people seeing and grasping the truth is, uh, yeah, it's rich. Yeah, good, awesome. Yeah, um, I've been in ministry way less amount of time than these guys. Um, but I got saved at 23 and I'm older than that now. So it's like six years, um, about four or just, just under four of that has been legitimate, like paid ministry roles. Um, I think the biggest joy um, would be just to see, see people understand um, their relationship with the Lord in a deeper level. Um, I'd say um, like uh, if I had to choose like a word, seeing people have joy in Jesus, um, that's not circumstantial. That's not like life's just going really well now. 
um, but seeing them really grasp onto um, the idea that God is for them and nothing can truly be against them. I think that idea, it doesn't happen a ton, um, but when you see that in um, even in little things, I think that's uh, an amazing thing to think that that to some degree um, was a response to um, my ministry or my family's ministry just pouring our lives into seeing people grow in their relationship with the Lord. Awesome. Thanks, Danny. Uh, I kind of want to answer this question too. Uh, there's one name that comes to mind for me. It's from our time in France. And uh, it's a lady whose name is uh, Catherine or Catherine. And uh, she was a lady, we, we were out doing surveys as a way to kind of start evangelistic conversations, like literally had a survey on a clipboard. And we met her husband, uh, but neither myself nor the guy I was partnered with could understand a word he said. And I just assumed like my French was terrible. And after a few minutes of trying to talk to this guy, I looked at my my partner who is French and I was like, are you understanding this? He was like, I have no idea what's happening right now. But this guy led us back to his home. We got to meet him and his wife, Catherine. And uh, it was just like this long process. Uh, it started out where... Uh, we tried to share the gospel a little bit. And uh, after a while, you know, it was getting late. So we said, uh, hey, you know, would it be okay if, if we came back? And she was like, yeah, sure. Here's my phone number. Give us a call and let us know. And so uh, I called her like a week later and was like, hey, you know, it's JP from, uh, you know, we talked last week. Would it be all right if I came by? Uh, and she had no idea who I was. So, <laughs> but she said, yeah, sure. Come over anyway. So went over, shared the gospel a little bit more. And like literally for nine months, it was this cycle of, she kept talking about her kids and how she felt alienated from her kids. They wouldn't talk to her. Uh, she's probably in her late sixties or something at that, at, at that point. And uh, so we kept talking about forgiveness uh, because that's kind of a basic concept for the gospel. And it just went around in circles literally for nine months of, well, I can't, I can't forgive them for what they've done. And uh, just explaining, well, forgiveness isn't about you uh, forgetting what forgiveness is, is giving the burden of justice to God and letting God deal with it in his way in his time. Uh, and she'd usually say, okay, that's good. I just, I can't forgive them for what they've done or I can't forget what they've done to me. And so like nine months of like weekly conversations about what forgiveness is, because at the end of the day, if you don't understand what forgiveness is in a human sense, it's kind of hard to understand the gospel. And it, uh, I mean, it was just kind of characteristic of our whole relationship and her whole journey of just taking what felt like a really long time to make little bits of progress. But uh, I mean, last we, we heard uh, a few months ago as we talked with her and some of the people in the church, she's actually the one leading the charge for evangelism. And she, uh, at one point, kept talking about how horrible and how difficult it was to evangelize because you cannot talk about Jesus with anybody and you're gonna get arrested and people are gonna be so angry with you. And now she's the one in the church like leading the charge. Uh, and so, you know, for a long time, it was just kind of like, uh, are we actually making a difference here? And now as we look back and see kind of where Catherine is at, it's just really cool to see what God's done in her life over, gosh, probably about 10 years now uh, of work. So praise the Lord for that. That's probably one of my biggest joys. Were you ever able to discover why you and your partner couldn't understand the, the Frenchman? Uh, it was because, well, one, he didn't have any teeth. And two, because I think there was some kind of like 
whether it was Parkinson's or dementia or something along those lines, he didn't make any sense. And his wife was having to translate for him like on a regular basis. So this wasn't abnormal. Nobody could understand what he said. So it was, it made for some interesting, interesting moments with him. So awesome. Well, thanks guys. Uh, second question we've got is what is your longest ongoing prayer request? What have you been praying for for the longest amount of time currently? Um, I think for me, you know, some some of those things are um, personal, pretty personal. Keep those close to the chest, of course. But one of the things I was gonna, just going to say in regards to like my last answer about longevity is, you know, for me, I grew up in a ministry family, went to, went to a, you know, a Christian college. Um, it felt in the early years, it felt like the natural thing to do would be to go into ministry. Like that's just was the natural next step. As I've been in ministry longer, I think one of my favorite things is to see how personal the Lord is that, you know, while I don't have a moment where the Lord clearly said, I'm calling you into you know, vocational worship ministry. I don't have that moment, but I have seen over the years, God um, just show his activity and his faithfulness and in different things. And that's just been really cool to be able to look back and have a history of seeing that. Um, but that is also uh, a prayer that has really been sticking to me the last few years is that God would increase those moments. One of the things that my wife and I talk a lot about in our home and in ministry is, are the things that we're seeing just the result of just making an ethical choice or a right choice or the things we're seeing in our life, the result of um, following Jesus, of a God honoring choice. And, and so with that become uh, our prayer is just that God would show us the, the reality of his presence, that what we're experiencing is undeniably him, not just the result of making a right choice or whatever. And so our prayer over the last few years has just been that God would show us the undeniable, his undeniable presence and activity in a tangible way in our life that we could undeniably point to something and say, that's the Lord. That's the Lord doing that. Not just the result of like giftedness, personal giftedness. Um, and I, I, I long for that. Just that God would clearly, even just through worship ministry, that God would just clearly show this actually could not, the thing you're experiencing could not have been accomplished through your giftedness alone, but it's accomplished because I'm working. Um, so I really want to see that happen more. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I would say my longest standing prayer request would probably be, Lord, where would you have me use my gifts for um, your kingdom? I have lived most of my life in a very transient positions. I've never had a job more than three years. Well, more than five years, actually. This last job I had was four and a half. That was the longest job I've ever had. My dad is the exact opposite. Like he was in one job for 30 some years and retired in it. And I know like that seems normal. I don't have that. I'm always seeking clarity. What does the Lord have for me? Where does, where do I fit in? Where's the use of my gifts? So it's always been for me this idea of, Lord, I, I don't know what's happening in my life again, but help me to be faithful with the use of my gifts anyway, whatever that looks like. And that is honestly like this past year, uh, that's the last question too, but just the idea of, I don't know, like I don't know with clarity. And so clarity has always been something that I think is this nebulous thing that I'm just not given. And I'm realizing like the Lord really just wants faithfulness in my heart and life. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, Charles. 
Yeah, um, there's a number of things that I've been praying for for years um, that I could be more specific with, but I think on a general basis, um, you know, um, I, I think I've been asking the Lord for a long time to to really help me, help me do life with Him, help me do life in a way that would honor Him and bring Him glory, but also help me not miss um, the... Um, reality that God, God does want to, um, be with us in this, in, in the here and now. And, and, um, I, I think that, um, talking to other Christians or even in seasons of my life, I, I think I'm, we'd all agree that that's a, a goal to kind of strive after. But, um, I think, you know, more and more, I'm just asking the Lord, like, show me your presence in my life. Help me to not be operating in a way that is, um, in my own will or strength, but what I, what I yield to, um, something higher, something better. And, um, would you help me make, um, my heart and life holy and blameless if that's what you've called me to. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of a simple prayer, but just help me. God, just, just continue to do that with me. Yeah, that's good. I uh, I think I'm with you guys. Uh, of the two that come to mind, one of them is definitely the show me your glory. Like, let me know you're here. Show me something that is undeniably you um, because it's so easy to get sucked into the, well, you know, like I trust that he's here. I know that he's here theologically. I just, I really want to see it. Um, yeah, so been praying that for a while. The other one that comes to mind is uh, I can still remember like when I came to Christ uh, back in college or started really living for the Lord. Um, just at different prayer meetings at, at InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Uh, yeah, way back when, uh, you know, just pouring my heart out with uh, with my friends to the Lord for my, uh, my older brother's salvation. So... Uh, yeah, it's been on the list for a while and is still there. So, yeah. I would add to that too. I think just the older I, I think you and I are probably the oldest, maybe. I don't know how old you are, Charles, but probably the oldest in this this circle. But I think I'm older than JP. Really? Mm -hmm. Should, should we fight it out? How old are you? I am, I was born in 1981. Oh, me too. But I was born in February. So when were you? I was August. I don't know if that makes me older or younger. It makes you younger. I'm bad at math. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. All right. So you got me beat by a few months. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I was saying was the older I get, and I think you know kids are a huge indicator of this as they grow older. Is they just bring to mind like I think one of the words that come to my mind is legacy. And I think one of the things that is a danger for our kids growing up in ministry is that they would just kind of view what we do as as a job. And I honestly think that's that's a danger in our own hearts is to just to view that this is the job I'm called to. Um, I so do not want my boys to grow up and, and have to say about their dad, um, my dad led songs at our church or my dad, whatever. I would, but I really do want them to see a, a broken dad who what didn't strive for perfection, but a dad who just longed for the Lord, you know, and, and the, you were just sharing a little bit ago, JP, about show me your glory. I would even go just a, maybe a little, an offshoot of that is God did create us to be emotional beings. And I am definitely wired as one of those kind of guys where I feel all the feels. I think of Psalms where David says, I yearn for you. My heart longs for you. 
I and David was as imperfect as they come, and I just identify with that so so much. I, what I would want my boys to say about uh, my wife and I, our lives, is that you know what we weren't perfect, but even in imperfection, even in brokenness, there was a yearning and a longing and a pouring ourselves out to kind of what Danny's saying. God help me. I don't know how to be the man you've called me to be. I need you. I'm relying on you. I want my boys to see that. I want them to see a, um, a man who's as best as he can chasing after the Lord, even on the bad days. Um, that, and that, they, that their takeaway wouldn't be my dad led songs. Um, hmm. That's good. That's good. Thanks, guys. All right, next question is, what book has most influenced you other than the Bible? Not specifying specifically for ministry. Uh, so uh, you can list a systematic theology if you really want to. Uh, but what book has most influenced you personally apart from the Bible? I To me, it's funny you guys are thinking about this, not in a judgmental way, but there's like one that comes to mind immediately for me. Go I'm for sure. it. So yeah, this was, yeah, this was in, in college. I had just really started living for the Lord. It was discovering like the wealth of, you know, Christian writing and just all this stuff that was out there. The first one is Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And he just had a way of like exploring theology. Like it's it's theology. Yeah. If you read that oh, yeah. book, it's, it's it's not like light. Hey, let me tell you a story about growing up and then transition into a spiritual principle. Like it is, yeah, it's heady. And I just remember being absolutely captivated by that. So that's one of them that I list when it's like, what are the you know authors or books that have most influenced you? The other one is C.S. Lewis, uh, Mere Christianity, the Screw Tape letters. Uh, that guy just, yeah. I was amazed that Christianity was that logical, but those are the two I'd go to immediately with uh, J.I. Packer and knowing God probably being uh, in a, a pretty pretty steady first place for me. When I was in college, I read a book by Max Lucado called In the Grip of Grace. Um, that was um, just very impactful to me because I think I was just at a point in time where I needed to be reminded that that God loved me. Um, uh, I would think I could rattle off a few uh, short books. Humility by C.J. Mahaney uh, was just kind of huge for me. He also wrote another tiny little book that was very gospel-centered at the very beginning of my kind of return to gospel-centered thinking in, in ministry. He wrote a book called The Cross-Centered Life. Um, which just kind of rocked me. But I would say in recent years, uh, Matt Chandler's Explicit Gospel, um, which I read in 2012, was pretty pivotal and a shift that occurred in my life. Most recent book that I've read that really just started really changing me was called Hope in the Dark by Craig Rochelle. And it was in that book that he began to unpack the prayer in Habakkuk 3, where Habakkuk is asking God to move in all of these different ways. But he gets to the end of his prayer and he says, basically says, but even if you don't yet, I will praise you. And I was just at a point in my adult life where I had been praying certain prayers, maybe some of those that I said were close to the chest. I had been praying certain prayers that God hadn't been answering either at all or not answering in the way that I had wanted him to. And it really just kind of brought me to my knees to say, Am I going to live in frustration, shaking my fists uh, to the Lord? Or am I going to let this be something that, that allows me just to lower my fist, get on my knees, and by faith trust that even though he's not answering 
yet will I still praise him? Will I still have that posture? And that was just a pretty ground, that led to a pretty groundbreaking shift, not only in my heart, but also in our home, um, was kind of to wrestle through that. That's good. Thanks. Um, yeah, this is kind of based, like Steve said, there's like seasons of when like books became meaningful. I think mine also was in college where uh, it was actually a book uh, by a former Green Beret who turned into a pastor. I guess he turned into, he just became a pastor. I feel like he's a superhero. He turned into <laughs> yeah. a pastor. Yeah. And, uh, but the book is called Tender Warrior and the subtitle is God's Intentions for a Man. And I have three brothers. And again, growing up and having, you just kind of assume like what manliness is and manhood. And this was just a very, again, the, the title itself, Tender Warrior. Like I was reading that going, that is a beautiful and compelling vision of what a man is supposed to be. Written by a man who could kill you in a moment. Um, but then just thinking like that, that was very influential. But then another book that really took the grace of God and made it uh, very applicable was Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace. <sighs> wow. I mean, that just, yeah, that put to flesh many of the things that I had not thought of. They were mostly theoretical in my mind, but grace became something very beautiful in the dirt of humanity that was just amazing. But uh, also around that time, I would say Lord of the Rings, the trilogy. I mean, I became a Lord of the Rings guru. I fell in love with it. I read it. I read the Silmarillion and all of these different things. It just, oh my gosh, amazing. Uh, and then I would say most recently, just for clarity, I have been reading some beefier theological books, but one of the ones, two of them actually, Kingdom Come by Sam Storms and then another one, Kingdom Through Covenant uh, by two professors that were at uh, my seminary. It just put into clarity some of the things that I was wrestling through and didn't know how to say it. And they just put it on paper. And I said, that's amazing that they did that. And then I'm reading books now that I don't wanna go into, but they're really good about discipleship because I could just keep going. Awesome, thanks Charles. Yeah, um, yeah, similar to these guys, I'll, I'll keep it into two seasons um, to share, but um, I think one of the biggest um, ones for me right when I got saved was, which if, if you know my story at all, I did not wanna be a Christian. I fought Christianity for years, um, wanted nothing to do with it, grew up in it, but hated that I didn't seem any different or the people around me did not seem any different from being a quote unquote Christian. And so when I finally came to the end of my rope and God showed me his grace in a new way, um, I thought, man, it, it, it maybe is possible to do life with God. And so that's definitely been a theme in my life. Um, A.W. Tozer's stuff, um, specifically life in the spirit and then the pursuit of God were huge. I mean, I remember just, I didn't even have a job yet. I moved back to Michigan literally to just attend a church and make disciples, which I didn't even know what that meant at that point. I'm still figuring it out. Um, but I was sitting in my parents' basement at 23 with no future in a worldly sense and just feeling like I have found everything that I need. Um, and so that's really shaped me. Um, I would say recently, um, or last, the last few years, um, 
discipleship um, has become kind of front and center, the thing that I need to be pouring my time and energy into and the um, Dallas Willard stuff on discipleship has been huge. Um, John Mark Comer kind of got me on the track um, towards all of that. But um, I think the divine conspiracy, so understanding Jesus and the call to follow him with your life um, has been just huge. Um, So yeah, A.W. Tozer, Willard, Comer, those are the big three. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to call an audible here. Uh-oh. Uh, we've got four questions down. I've got a fifth question I want to ask before we get to the last question. And that is, uh, what is the thing you long to see happen in American Christianity, in Christianity in Western Michigan, in evangelicalism? You kind of set the context uh, uh, it could even be Redemption Church. Uh, but what is the thing that you long to see happen, uh, whether that's highly probable and you may achieve it in the next month or two, or whether that's, man, if we could just understand this one thing or do this one thing better as the church. This will have to be a different podcast to flesh it out. But I would say along the lines of what Danny was saying, the, the book that I'm reading currently is called Conversion and Discipleship. And I think the biggest detriment to American Christianity has been some of the taking of evangelism as basically you are forgiven of your sins and you're made right with God. Now go and wait for heaven in a sense, where really it is the transformation of the spirit of God. You are invited into life with the Lord Jesus Christ. He has not come simply to save you to go to heaven. He has come to actually make you new. And the hardest part is that we look at discipleship or getting quote unquote deeper with Christ as an optional experience of Christianity when it is a non-negotiable. And over and over the Bible talks about the person who says something but does not do what I say. And people throw up the flag of, oh, that's legalism. That's missing sola fide or sola gratia and all these things. Oh, it's it's by faith alone and grace. Yes, it is. But as Paul says, grace is not without its effect. It does something. James says, faith without works is dead. If you don't evidence the fact that you're living with Jesus Monday through Saturday and you show up on Sunday, that's not sufficient. That's not Christianity. Christ didn't save you to go to a service. He saved you to become like Jesus, his son. So I would say that in a nutshell, we could unpack that a little more. That's, that's a awesome. Big, that's and a big deal. You've already unpacked that a fair amount uh, yeah, but, for but a few over hours. over and over again, I think the, the clarity of scripture, we have almost taken away the, the grip of the claws of the spirit to tear into our old man and rip it out of us. And we've said, no, I don't think that's required of a Christian to do those things. And we basically present a gospel that is palatable to the culture of ease. And it's not. Jesus says, count the cost, take up your cross daily, follow me. That's not, that doesn't preach very well. Two things to note. Uh, First is there is no question that Charles feels passionately about this. (laughs) And second is I tried to throw a curveball and Charles was all over it. There was absolutely no hesitation. (laughs) All right. Well, we got Charles's answer. Danny, Steve? I I think Charles is right. Um, I would 
take an offshoot of that. You know, it's in Redemption Church's verbiage or whatever, but we use the phrase gospel wakefulness. Um, so while it is part of our church identity, that also is the thing that took place in, I mentioned to 2012. Um, I'll never forget, I was getting ready to preach at my last church out of Ephesians 2. I'd read that a thousand times. I was also simultaneously reading Explicit Gospel of Matt Chandler. And all of a sudden I would just put it this way, like just someone turned a light bulb on, took the blinders off, that the message of the gospel is not just purely intended to convert. Yeah. Um, but I need that daily reminder infused of who Jesus is, how he feels about me, how he's sustaining me, the gospel implications in every situation, even in the situations like Charles was saying, like, hey, these aren't optional things, living for the Lord and, and taking up your cross. I would even just do an offshoot of that would be one of the things that I found so difficult about my own walk with the Lord is, Lord, I thought things would be different than they are. I think me choosing you and me worshiping you and me trying my best to pursue you at 45 would have left me more righteous, more holy, more victorious than what I am. But even in those moments of depression sometimes, weak, uh, even the gospel speaks into that. What does God say into our, our weakness? What does God say what, through the gospel of Jesus in how he helps us give? So confess it, Steve, and walk in the victory that you didn't purchase, but I purchased it already for you. And let's get after this. Let's keep taking steps forward. So in all of those things, it was just so... Uh, huge to me that the gospel wasn't a message I received when I was nine, when I gave my life to the Lord, but the gospel and its implications is a message that even now, as I'm talking on this podcast, I am so desperately reminded of how much I need yeah. <laughs> is just to be reminded that I might fail, but Jesus never does. And I might fall short, but Jesus never does. And I think predominantly in our community, what you were just asking about, JP, what our community needs so much more of is Jesus yeah. and who he is and how he loves us and how he wants to pick us up and, and help us to grow in our sanctification like Charles was talking about, to help us take up our cross to follow him, to help us be more like him. We need way less of marking the calendar and filling out the church slot and the religious stuff. That stuff West Michigan is so yeah. good at. Um, but we so easily confuse our faithfulness to go to church with a faithful relationship with our Savior. Yeah. They're not the same thing. Yeah. And that can only happen, honestly, if the Holy Spirit turns the lights on. Yeah. And I don't know how he does that with most people or when he does it, but I know he wants to do it. And that's just what I believe is so needed in our community. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I would say I'm totally in line with what you guys are saying. Um, I think um, what I see more and more in the use of the language of discipleship is the desperate need for, um, like Jesus said, when in, in, as he's leaving, he, told, he instructed his disciples to go and teach everything that Jesus said and did um, and to call other people into a lifestyle, not just a, a mindset or a, something that you do on the weekend, but a lifestyle that would reflect what has been done for us and would draw us into the power 
power and the life uh, uh, that comes from communion with God. And I think that that um, I see more and more um, when I talk to other Christians or whatever, I even get kind of people that bristle at that kind of language that you would call somebody to live a life that reflects that. It gets into that realm of legalism or I'm trying to earn something. But um, like Willard says, um, grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Right, And so I'm not calling people to earn their relationship with God. I'm saying there is more here, not just for you, but for our communities and for our families, there is more. And so I, I would say that is huge. I would also say that the, the popular church's view on what is successful desperately needs to change. Uh, a successful church service should be a husband that goes home and serves his wife in a way that he was not able to before he went to that service or that um, somebody can give more of their time or energy because they found a joy in the Lord that they didn't have before. Numbers or anything like that, momentum in how, how we talk about um, really like a business analytic in a church kills churches because it puts us in a place where we never were supposed to be. Jesus called a grassroots campaign and taught his dear friends how to live in a completely different way that would bring the goodness of God in into the here and now. And it was never supposed to be something that we kind of throw across um, a social media page and go, hey, world, check this out. We're never going to be successful in that way, but that's not the point. The Holy Spirit has to come into the places that matter and recreate us one by one as we learn how to do life together in community. And so I, I would say if I could see that happen in my lifetime or be part of that, that would be amazing. I think the Lord is doing that in pockets, but it's never going to be something that we see on a large scale. And, and I guess I'm wrestling with it. Am I okay with that? Um, and so, yeah. Go on yeah, forever, but. <laughs> that's good. Uh, what I love is, uh, first of all, the passion. Uh, I find that incredibly compelling from you guys. Uh, I also love the fact that all of this is, it just, it comes out of the gospel and gospel centeredness. Uh, yeah, it's not, you know, better, better music or, you know, better graphics for our sermons. It's gospel. Uh, and I absolutely love that. Uh, mine would probably, it's, it's gospel related, um, a little bit of a different tact. Uh, mine's unity. Uh, I feel like we have, this is probably where worldliness has crept in so much to the church. We find reasons why we're not like everyone else. And I think rather than trying to find points of connection, uh, our default attitude our, you know, the, the church's default attitude seems to be, how am I not like those other Christians? Uh, whether it's political or cultural issues, whether it's simply denominational issues or even theological issues. Um, one of the things that I, I still wrestle with is we came back from France, which is a very postmodern place. A lot of people are super surprised to hear that there's like less than 2% evangelicals in France. Uh, it's super post-Christian and we've kind of lived that reality and what it means to be Christian in France is you, you can't really draw denominational lines. I mean, you can, you still identify as like, you know, a, a charismatic or a Baptist or whatnot, but you have to be super quick to let those fall so that you can work together for the gospel. Um, 
We were at a place where, uh, you know, it made me feel uncomfortable at times. Well, we worked with the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church or the priest of the Catholic Church was basically telling us this is the gospel and was telling us what we believe the gospel to be, that Jesus died for our sins and that it's by his death alone that we are saved. Um, so we found ourselves in the uncomfortable position of working with the Catholic Church. Um, and I think for me, as we look for what's in the future or even how do we work together there? I hear stories of churches in the area who are so concerned about their own kingdom, their own attendance numbers, their own growth as a church that it feels so kingdom oriented. It, it absolutely disgusts me. Um, one of the most powerful moments we had, I think I've had, is when we were going to plant a church in France. We were attending another church that was five minutes away. And the pastor of that church asked us to come up and give a little announcement. And as we were walking up to give the announcement, he said something along the lines of, now I know you as a congregation are probably starting to wonder, what does that mean for us? There's another church going in five minutes away. What if people stop going to this church and start attending that church? And uh, he basically said, I will not listen to anybody say things like that. This is not about our kingdom. This is about God's kingdom. And if it takes our church getting cut in half for God's kingdom to grow, then we will be willing to make that sacrifice. And that just, it floored me. I, I couldn't talk after that, uh, even less so in French. Uh, and, <laughs> and it just, I had never heard someone that willing to sacrifice and lose personally so that God's kingdom could advance. And, you know, I think we live in a world where we're so focused on me and what do I believe and what works best for me uh, and my faith that, you know, you just don't hear of churches saying, let me bend over backwards for this or that church plant or this or that other church, or what can we all together do in the name of the gospel that we don't even need to attach our name to? Um, so uh, that's kind of where I'm going with the unity thing. Uh, I would love to see uh, and long to see churches work together, not for their own kingdom, not for their own denomination, but for God's kingdom and just to kind of band together. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, what is it? Psalm 133? It's a short Psalm, but it, it gives some weird analogies about unity, right? Being like oil dripping off Aaron's head and running through his beard. Beard, yeah, yeah. so beautiful. That's <laughs> right. what I want to see. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, obviously it's a pleasing sight to God. And Jesus says, you know, they'll, they'll know you're Christians by your love and by your unity. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at. So awesome. One last question. Uh, and that is, how can people pray for you? We're going to imagine that people uh, listening to the podcast want to pray for us. And if they were to ask you, how can I pray for you today? How would you answer that? Yeah, um, I heard years ago, the, the pastor of the church I actually grew up in, um, that was really pivotal in my parents' life. And then later when I came back to Christ in my life, he used to, um, he used to say anytime anybody in the congregation or whoever would ask how they could be praying for him, he would ask that um, they, they would pray against pride in his heart as a leader, against um, any um, sexual temptation or to be drawn away in that way in purity, um, and then pray um, for his family, that they would also be protected as he serves the Lord. And so I would say for the same thing, and he used to joke like um, when 
when he would say those things, people would often like look like back with concern, like, oh, is something going on? And he would say, no, but I don't want there to be anything um, in the future. And if you could join me in prayer, if the enemy is going to take me out, it's probably going to be one of those three things. And so I, I would just ask the same thing, pride um, with purity in, in a sexual way. And then um, with my family, if, if God would protect them as well, that'd be great. Awesome. Thanks, Danny. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, I would pray. I mean, I would ask you to pray that for all of us. In, I mean, very fervently. Um, I would give a little more flesh to the last one on family. Uh, I've just been convicted recently, um, more and more so, not recently, but just more and more so, uh, about the idea of the one who does not manage his own household well, how can he manage the household of God? And as I look at that as a father, like that calling of a father doesn't take a back seat to other ministry. Like it is the prerequisite to being a pastor. Like you have to manage your household well. And the Lord's given me a season now where I'm home a lot more, I'm part-time here. And so seeing home and seeing the needs and also appreciating what my wife does on a regular basis, like that's, that's a big deal to me. I was like, wow, this <laughs> is incredible. I'm making meals more often than she is, going grocery shopping, doing chores. And I'm like this, like for me, it's just realizing again, appreciation of that, which I just assume is there. And I go, Lord, forgive me. Cause that's arrogant of me to just assume that that's there. And so being able to do that, but also knowing like I see my kids when they come home from school, I have conversation with them, making time to spend with them, just wisdom with that. Like I, wanna, I want my kids to rejoice, like Steve, you said, about rejoicing in the Lord, even as I'm in ministry. Like I don't want them to feel, yeah, just second class. Yeah. That's good. Thanks, Charles. I really appreciate what Danny shared. I, my heart really resonates with those. I mean, I... I sincerely feel that if the enemy is going to take me out, it's going to be in um, self-inflation um, that'll come in the, in the form of pride or sexual sin, sexual temptation. Um, and then all of those, you know, the myriad of things will affect how we lead our family. So um, I'm not just agreeing for the sake of agreeing. I really just resonate with those so that people can pray for me in those regards. Um, I think on a much less important level than that, um, one of the things that I just really want to see change this coming year in me is I think naturally I am bent toward the negative. I can be a, I call it a realist, but it can be. Go a ahead, preach it. I can be a pessimist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I want to see the the joy of the Lord increase. Uh, just in my own, my life, this that's not hinged. I think somebody mentioned it earlier. That's not hinging on circumstance, but just it's a true satisfaction in Jesus. I'd like to see that increase more, and then. Um, there was a season for many, many years where I just wrote a lot of songs and wrote a lot of worship songs. Uh, that's always been a great joy of mine to see a song that the Lord gives me in, in a moment of just uh, solitude, then to teach that to our church and see people in our church in their own way kind of sink their teeth into that song where it becomes their song. Um, man, I would love it if the Lord gave me some some fresh uh, new music to write that we could then um, teach the the body here at Redemption. That's awesome. 
Yeah, and for me, uh, I would just say uh, I resonate with you when you talk about negativity. Uh, I feel like, did I just say negativity? You did. It's okay. Okay. It's, okay. it's, it's a not theme. It's a theme. <laughs> <of this. laughs> yeah, it's a theme of the street. Negativity. Uh, I'm tired of it shipwrecking uh, all kinds of things in my life. So I want to be a more positive person. Uh, and in that light, I want to, when faced with, you know, the real circumstances and difficult circumstances or things that aren't going right, rather than dwelling on what's negative or not going right, I really want to be able to lean into the Lord and say, well, I have your Holy Spirit. How do you want me to bring your kingdom into this situation? Uh, and I think that's a way to take what normally would have been negative uh, and even turn it for positive. And rather than just dwelling on it or leaving it the same, uh, actually be an agent for change. So uh, that would be one thing that resonated as you were talking, Steve. The other one is, um, yeah, just that I would feel a sense of urgency and order in light of Christ's return which sounds like weird and theological, but I feel like when you, if, if Jesus were to come back today and I knew it uh, at, you know, 7 p.m., there would be a huge sense of urgency and a huge sense of order. Like I probably wouldn't worry about editing the podcast this afternoon at that point, you know, it's like everything comes into clarity and you understand there are certain priorities you need to pursue. Now I feel like I have not been living necessarily in light of Christ's imminent return. Uh, and in that sense, there's just a lot of stuff that's been left undone. Uh, and so whether it's sharing the gospel with people, whether it's, uh, yeah, I don't even know. Uh, but I, I feel like there have been times in my life where I have been aware of the imminent return of Christ and it's just put a huge amount of urgency and a lot more clarity into the way I live. Um, and yeah, I'd love that. So, well, awesome. Uh, I think that's all the time we have. If you have questions for us, I would invite you to write those down, send them in. Uh, you can connect with us via email at info at redemptionmi.org, or you can just message us on social media, which is at redemptionmi on Facebook or redemptionchurchmi on Instagram. And until next week, have a great time. Yeah, yeah, yeah.